You're listening to the 40th episode of the Choir Baton podcast, and this episode is dedicated to all of my students, my students from Merrill Hyde Magnet School, Centennial Campus Magnet Middle School, Longleaf School of the Arts, Sanderson High School, Governor's School East Chorus, Class of 2011, and Governor's School West Chorus, Class of 2019. Thank you for giving me a space, not that you really had a choice, but giving me a space to remind you every single day that your voice is enough, because in telling you that, I also realized that my voice is enough. Welcome to The Choir Baton, a podcast designed to engage with people and stories, ideas, and inspirations stemming from choir. No other art form, no sport, no hobby, no business requires a group of people to execute a communal goal with just their voices. Join me, your host, Beth Philemon, as I interview guests who are singers, teacher conductors, instrumentalists, and community members. Together, we'll ask questions, seek understanding, and share insight from our experiences in life and in choir. Well, welcome to this 40th episode, as I said in the introduction, and I just want to say how appreciative I am that you are listening to the Choir Baton podcast. I love these interviews, and I I love sharing about what's on my heart in solo episodes uh, because it's a helpful thing for me to learn and process and therapeutic, um, and I always want to help other people. But the fact that it, it actually does that as well um, is another thing. And I'm so grateful to everyone that has listened to the Choir Baton podcast. Um, to those of you that send me emails or text messages after an episode with quotes, thoughts, ideas, things that really resonated with you, uh, it's such an amazing encouragement to know um, that you have been impacted by this medium. And then to those of you that also just listen every single week, that subscribe, and to people that leave reviews, it's so, um, it just, it means a lot because you don't have to do that. And I, you, you, the Choir Baton podcast is quote unquote free, but actually you are paying by listening to the Choir Baton podcast because the time, your time is your most valuable resource. And the fact that you spend time to listen to this is the best form of quote unquote payment, I guess you could say, um, because we pay for things that we value. Thank you for that. Thank you for the reviews that you leave because like it or not, people listen to things and tune into things because of the reviews that people leave. Like just today, I was buying an, a new desk chair because the first one I bought several weeks ago. You remember, if you if you're an OG Choir Baton listener, you know that um, I I used to sit in my grandmother's old chair, and if you would listen closely to old episodes, you would like hear it squeak and move. Um, and then I finally got smart and started sitting on my piano bench, and and I recently bought an actual chair, and then um, I realized I, I needed 
a functional chair and not just a pretty chair. Um, but I, I was putting my chair together and which I, I also have failed at. I haven't been able to do. My sister's going to come over later tonight and um, help help me uh, take it apart because I put it together all wrong. Um, I read the reviews on different chairs. And even though like there were some, I just read the reviews. Reviews matter. Thank you for leaving them. Thank you for giving me feedback about what you are listening to. It means a lot to me. So the 40th episode was going to be all about choralpreneurship. I recorded it over a week ago and I was really excited to talk about this topic with you. And I'm still going to talk about that topic with you today, but I have re-recorded it because honestly, I didn't feel like the first episode was all that great, but I also feel like there's a more uh, important angle for me to say this in that also correlates to this concept of choralpreneurship. And that is the concept that my voice is enough and your voice is enough. And as I shared in the introduction of this Choir Baton episode, I said that this episode is dedicated to all of, ugh, to all of my former students because, gosh, because they, um, in some sense, some days didn't feel like they were listening to me and they probably weren't, uh, which is fine because there's some days I don't listen to my teachers all the way either. But um, the fact that um, I got to stand in front of them, with them, beside them for all the years of me being a, a formal educator um, and letting them – my my um, biggest thing to them was always like your voice, like you are enough, particularly in my later years of teaching um, of, of you are enough. I have four kind of classroom expectations, um, and that was that you always come prepared, that you're respectful, not just to others, but also to yourself. I believe very strongly in that, that you actively participate in what's going on. And number four, that you would challenge yourself. Um, and in, in my later years of teaching, if I probably were to add on another one, but also I believe that it encompasses those four, it's that you are enough. And I wanted, I, I found myself like repeating that to students so much in the last years of my um, teaching in the classroom because I wanted them to know that they are enough because I didn't receive that message growing up. And quite frankly, it wasn't until I was in my 30s that I began to even consider the fact that me and who I am and all of my flaws and all the ways that I like say the wrong thing or do the wrong thing or anything like that, like I am enough. And I find that particularly in choral music, we struggle with that so much. And there's so many different reasons for that. Um, And I want to talk with you a little bit about them today and share with you a little bit of how I am learning to realize the power of my voice and, and what that means for me professionally and personally within the context of choir and showing up as a quote-unquote choralpreneur, but also in the context of, of the world. Um, I was like that odd child. Oh, I still am, but now I'm leading into it, right? Like I was that odd child. I struggled immensely with my weight growing up. And I I struggled with being loud and opinionated and being told to be quiet and being told that I was too much. Um, 
I struggled with never feeling pretty, with never, never being enough. And while I have great, um, great parents and a great sister, and I'm, I'm very fortunate in a lot of ways, and I don't, and I, like I even almost hesitate saying this because I, I didn't realize quite honestly that my parents sometimes listen to the podcast until my dad told me about something of this every day. So I don't know if you're listening to this or not, dad. Know that like, um, but know that I'm not, you know, we talk about this. Um, you know, I really struggled to never feel enough for my parents and, um, and to never feel like I was good enough to never feel like I was uh, skinny enough. And I really, I just, I really struggled with that. And I think when I always have this sentence that I began saying in my first couple of years of teaching that breeds down to things, you know, insecurity breeds meanness. And so at times when, of my biggest insecurity as a child, I was mean. Um, and I don't, I hope I wasn't a bully, although I'm sure in some instances I was, um, but I also I just struggled with figuring out who I was and 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 feeling enough. I, I, I know I keep saying that word. And what's fascinating to me is the older that I get and the more stories that I hear of people is that that is a common theme for so many of us in our lives. And I think what's hard is that then, particularly those of us that move from being a child that feels this way into college that feels this way, and then particularly as an educator that feels that way, there's a lot of cognitive dissonances that can happen in that. And then a lot of, and then, so that in being an educator can really um, struggle with how we show up in the classroom because we can feel like we are never being enough, never doing enough. We're never as good as the teacher down the street. We're never as good um, as the teacher across the hall. We're never as good as our teacher that maybe inspired us to be the teacher that we wanted to be today. We're never enough as a teacher. But then especially as a choral musician, right, where we are not only, you know, teaching is incredibly personal, because the ways in which you present the information is authentically you. And then in particular, choral music is so authentically you, right? Like you, down to every single little part of how you structure your choral program, right? So let's think um, big picture in the fact that the music that you choose is personal. It is it is, I mean, you pick what and when and, and and what and when you your choir is going to sing, right? And so then once you order that music, um, then when you program it is personal. Where you perform it is personal. Where, how you teach it is personal. How you warm up a choir is personal. How you voice a choir is personal. And what I have found the, the sound that you want is personal, right? Like what I have found is that in the moments of me not feeling enough as a person and as a musician, <clears throat> I have leaned into looking at what I thought I needed to do and should be doing 
in the actions and examples of those around me that I deemed, quote unquote, enough, right? So let's think about repertoire. How many times do we look at repertoire and we pick repertoire based on what we think is a level that another choir or a choir director that we think is doing is good and important and that they are quote unquote enough, right? We've put them on a pedestal and we begin to think about the repertoire that we are singing in the context of I want to be doing what they are. I should, we begin to measure our success based off of what they're doing. And then the type of music that they're programming is something that we begin to lean into wanting to do, not because we feel like in our hearts that like we that that's what we should do, but we are using that other person as the example of what enough is because we know that our own decisions and thoughts and opinions aren't enough, right? Um, how many times have I sat in an ensemble and, or not sat in an ensemble, but like taken an ensemble to a competition. And when I say competition, I mean like festival or anything like that. And I have struggled to not put the weight of those comments on my performance and and like own them as me not doing enough and take them too personally because I, I wasn't enough. How many times have I asked opinions of others, not because I truly wanted to know what they thought, but I wanted to know in in relation to what my opinion was and to, to truly learn from what they were saying. But I've asked for what someone else thought because I wanted to own what someone else was saying. And I'm not saying like own as in like take their opinion in a means of seeking to, um, purposely take their opinion as my own but because like deep 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 down inside I didn't realize that in me asking for someone else's opinion about that was because I didn't feel worthy enough to have an opinion of my own and therefore I asked their opinion because I trusted that they were enough I deemed them as enough and therefore, I trusted them and I chose to lean into what they were saying instead of taking the time to wrestle with what I thought was, quote unquote, enough. Um, like, so here's an example, right? When we, I will never forget in graduate school, one of the first things that we did um, with the Shrine of the Ages Choir is... Um, you're sitting, you're doing voicings, right? So it's a la Weston Noble. And if you don't know that, that's okay. I'm not trying to like throw out names here. But so Weston Noble believed, and I'm probably going to mess it up, but basically in jest, like you sing differently based on the people that you're standing beside. Well, he believes that. Other people believe that. I believe that now because I've done the work to listen for myself. But uh, anyways, so like what I have done, and I might have even done it before my teaching. It's a common practice. But if you've never heard of it before, that's okay too. You can learn, right? So you take, and there's different methods of doing this, but it's basically voicing people by who they are standing next to because that affects the sound overall. So um, early on in Shrine, 
we before we even have major rehearsals once parts are established we would do voicings and we also did this with the 100 voice master crawl that we did too right we take all the tenor ones all the all four of them <laughs> just kidding that was a choir joke um we would take all of you know the s2s bases etc and we would um, voice them by pairing different voices together and building combinations off of that and there's a mix right there is a mix as, as an early graduate student I would, I found myself like looking to my professor to agree with whatever she agreed with. And I was more caught up in trying to figure out if that was going to be the sound that she liked versus if that was the sound that I liked and why. And, um, I think that's a, a common thing, right? Like the part of that in graduate school, but also just in growth as a musician, is is figuring out what is your opinion versus what is what you were leaned into someone else's opinion um and and slowly but surely and then if I disagreed if I liked a different sound than she liked would I admit that or or not and if I disagreed with her how do I disagree with her now I definitely didn't disagree with her in the first, or at least voice my disagreement in that first year. Uh, but that leads me to then like a life point that I want to talk about in that I and very many other people were raised that you listened to the voices around you. You listened to the authority that was around you and older people knew because they know what's best. And they are in authority, so you listen to them. Um, that is just what you did. You didn't, in a sense, you you didn't think for your own. You didn't think for yourself. You didn't question as to why that might be the case, right? Like, and there's that old parenting adage, do not as I say, do not as I do, or um, I, there's plenty of other parenting things like that, right? Um but also then teacher things, right? I was taught you don't question the teacher. You just say, yes, sir, yes, ma'am, and you, you go and, and do your own thing. And and what's what we're beginning to see and what I'm also beginning to learn and we're seeing within our society too is that authority is not always right. And if we are going to – this is an extreme example, but an incredibly relevant and accurate one. If we are going to tell young children that if someone – if you see something wrong or if someone says something to you that doesn't sound right or feel right, if you um, – if someone – touches you in an inappropriate place or says something to you um, to speak up and to say something. And they must, right? Like we have um, – we that is a very – real thing that we talk about in our society that quite honestly wasn't talked about um even when I was a kid I don't think anyone ever said that to me that if that happens to you to speak up or to say something but if we are going to and we have to begin to teach our children that if something is not right or does not feel right, even if it is something that comes from a person of authority to speak up, um, we also have to teach them how and why to speak up. And what I'm getting at in a greater sense here is that we are teaching or we are teaching, but we are also not teaching people, not just kids, to think for themselves and to not just think for themselves based off of their 
own opinion and their own feelings, while that can be important, we are not teaching people how to do the research and how to learn. We are not, for years, we've also taught learning by like didactic instruction, like it is what it is. What is that? That's a quarter note. Why is it a quarter note? Well, it just is sort of thing um, versus breaking it down into the why and what does it mean and how is it used. And, and part of the reason why we don't have to teach that way anymore is because of the internet. And that has been a game changer for education and a game changer for music education as well. But there's still importance in um, standard notation for a million of reasons that we could get into later. But again, we are not experts in how to teach. We're not even, ex- we're not even like experienced. We're not even like really good at teaching ourselves, much less teaching the people around us, much less teaching students to embrace cognitive dissonance to embrace asking the why, to embrace asking the understanding of things and breaking things down. Instead, we are still working through this era of being told to agree because it's someone that is in authority over you. Someone has more experience in this over you. Someone is in a higher level of leadership over you. Someone is more experienced in this over you. And why do we listen to them? Because they are in authority. Now, this is scary in in so many different ways and reasons, but I think it's especially in the world around us, but it's especially scary in choral music. And I see this perpetuated in in so many ways, and I think we're beginning to do better about it um, as an industry, if you will, but we still have so much more to go. So let me break it down in how I see it. Um, Let's take take it within the context of a podcast. Um, I purposefully, and... and, um, I, my, my personal, if you go through and look at the names of people that have been on the Choir Baton podcast, there is a big chance you will not know, I don't know, like 80 to 90% of them. There is a very big chance you will not see, you will see names there that you do not always see represented at a state conference or a national conference. And that is intentional on my part. And that's intentional on my part. And and, and you'll see a mix, right? Um, because I, I think there's value and importance in both. But what's what I don't like about the choral music industry is that we have this tendency to idolize certain composers, conductors, because they are in quote-unquote authority over us. And we don't always ask the questions. We just accept what they say. Now, I'm not saying what they're saying is all the time wrong. But I'm not saying what they're saying is all the time right either. And, you know, that is a way in which I feel very called to um, bridge 
some of and, and to be able to kind of walk the talk in this as well, right? Um, will I continue to have people you of names like you don't necessarily know on the Choir Baton podcast? Absolutely. Will I probably begin to have some names that you do know on the Choir Baton podcast? Absolutely. I think again, it's it's a mix. Um, but but why is that? Why is that when you see a podcast in choir? that is a name you recognize as a guest versus a name you don't recognize as a guest, why is it that you're going to go with the name that you know? There's many theories on consumer behavior theories on that, right? Like, so you're going to go with the name that you know versus the name that you don't know. And I do the same thing too, right? And that's, I don't listen, quite honestly, I don't listen to a ton of choral music podcasts because it's easy to get in my head and go and like make comparisons. And um, I find inspiration for this podcast in other types of podcasts. So like it makes sense, right? Um, you want to lean into names that you know. There's consumer behavior theories about that. But when you – but let's say you listen to a podcast with someone you know and then you listen to a podcast with someone with a guest you don't know as well. Um, why is it that you find yourself believing what the person you know says and distrusting? I've done this too, right? Like do this too, not even in the past, right? Like I catch myself um, – doubting at times the person that I don't know as well because they don't have this um, authority, if you will, that or an even familiarity that I've had um, with the name when I'm listening to their story. And that's dangerous for us to get into um, consuming that way when we don't realize that we are consuming that way. And we do it with the music we program, right? We oftentimes program music that is more comfortable for us versus music that is not as comfortable for us. We trust programming music that we see other choirs singing at state and national conventions. We trust that that is the way our choir should sound and that that is the model with which we should should strive to sound like and be like and do, Um, even though we know, even though sometimes we don't even like those models or even like sometimes we don't even like the sound. We are measuring ourselves against that because it is put in a position of authority instead of instead of realizing that your voice is enough your choir is enough there's this phrase you know that comparison is the thief of joy and i don't know who said it um but it's so powerful and i think is a testament to this here, right? Your thoughts and opinions are enough. But but here is the caveat that we also have to be mindful of, and I find myself also having to lean into as well, is that in order for you to feel empowered that your voice is enough, you also have to educate your own voice. And I think this is the step that we miss and this is the step that keeps us from feeling empowered in owning the fact that our voice is enough is that we too often fail to educate our voice. 
right? It is learning is hard. Learning is hard. Learning is not easy. Learning takes time. It takes failure. It takes screwing up and screwing up again and screwing screwing up again, right? Like, and unfortunately, we as educators live in this world too, where like learning has to be fun, rah, rah, rah. Even the choir baton membership, like we've talked about how can we potentially like gamify certain sections so that when you, when you learn something in the, or when you go through a module in the teaching membership that you feel, um, that you feel like like you get a reward or you get a badge, right? Because that's how, um, so many different, uh, app like learning apps and Duolingo and things like that are set up that it's it's gamified. We see this in video games. We even see this in social media, right? Like we measure our success and we feel good by um, if someone likes it or if someone comments on it. Like that is a gamified part of the system. But but quite frankly, like learning is hard. You can only gamify learning to a certain extent, so much. And so when we go and we we look at comparing ourselves as um, what our choir is doing compared to this choir or what our choir is singing compared to this choir, what our, like what we sometimes fail to do is look within and figure out why, like what are the differences and, and why, and then realize by learning, by educating even ourselves, that you will never be able to have that kind of choir. But what does your choir have? What is your choir's secret sauce? And that means educating yourselves sometimes just on what is unique about your choir. And that sounds so basic, but I think that it's something that we skip so often is is leaning in and looking in and being like, what is unique about my choir? And how can I, I'm going to use a potentially um, uh, a, a word that's not used in this sense, but like, I mean it. How can I exploit that uniqueness, right? I think exploit has a negative connotation at times, but truly, um, and maybe it does, I don't have a dictionary in front of me. If it is wrong, I know with what I'm saying here. How can I lean into that choir, my, my own choir's like uniqueness? How can I educate myself on that? So that is where I choose to lean in on. So I'll give an example. I found myself two or three years ago sitting at the North County Music Educators Conference, and I was so freaking annoyed because there were choir, I, just different choirs that I heard getting up there that all were singing like this eight part music. And sometimes, and I don't even, I legitimately don't even know like what choirs it was. So I hope that none of my friends are listening to this that are like showing up my, my choir. Like I don't, I legitimately don't know. And honestly, you've probably had the similar thing. So I'm not calling out an individual person or thing. I, it's just a overarching theme even, right? But I, I just got tired of going to these state conventions and always seeing um, the same, like the same music. And it was music that I was never going to always be able to perform in my school. And especially because at that point I was building a program and it was like eight part music, which arguably should 
some of these choirs be doing eight-part music? Yes and no. It depends, right? Like if the choir can do it. But in our industry, we have set this level of excellence of like desirability that if a choir can sing eight-part music, not because we want to test if students can independently hold their own part against seven others, but because we feel like that's what success is, right? And so then we keep buying eight-part music and then composers keep writing eight-part music because that's what we're buying and they need to make a living. Although composers like, I guarantee if you wrote more three-part SAB music, that did not have your baritones singing above a C4, um, that would be game-changing. I don't understand that. But I also, anyways, uh, side note, I, I think I, I got so frustrated in that. And what I decided, I, I leaned over to a colleague of mine and said, <laughs> I was like, I'm taking a choir. I'm applying next year. And I, or, no, I didn't say this. I said, you know what we need to have at these state conventions is a high school choir singing unison two-part and three-part music. Um, and I said that to my friend Joel. And then like several months later, I was like, well, crap. If I'm going to say this, and I believe it firmly enough, um, I need to at least apply. And and that's what I did. And I took my high school choir. They were small. There was 19 of them. And we sang three-part music. Um, we, like the majority of our set was three-part music. Now we closed with this like ridiculously multi-part music that was above our uh, I don't want to say it was above. Like it was one of those songs that you teach because it's the teaching that needs to happen and it had a unique sound. It just fit our ensemble and was like the perfect challenge that we needed um, for a different context. Like that enabled us to be challenged on kids holding their own single part, on kids holding like insane, like crazy, crazy um, mixed meter pieces of music. And also like how are we going to sing this funky sounding tune uh to the choir I, I and I actually wanted to end our entire set with a round um that will still always be like my biggest regret that we didn't do that because I couldn't get a hold of the composer to to get rights and permission to learn that piece but anyways um I digress sorry side moment I I, I think we ended up singing three-part music and that was so important to me to realize like I wanted to lean in I wanted to do something different right but I wanted to do something different because I leaned in and I looked deep and I realized that like this was a conviction of mine that my choir was enough that I was enough of a conductor to be able to show up on that stage and sing music that was just in three parts so that other choir directors out there could see could see that and you know I sometimes see and have these conversations with choir directors that are like my we are not ACDA um like my choir would never be invited to sing at ACDA. That's not my level of choir. We could never afford that. We could never do that. And and I'm not calling these people out in like hate or anything like that, but I'm charging these people or even like you, right, to lean into if you think you can't, if you think that you're not good enough to do that, and I mean good enough, not like maybe musically enough, but you don't have whatever it takes to be like the choirs that you see on stage there, to stop that line of thinking and stop using that level of authority to compare yourself to and instead lean into what makes you unique and and then go after that and lean into that and embrace that. Because to, to switch this into 
my topic of choralpreneurship, you know, it's really an exciting time to be a, um, choralpreneur, I guess, if you will. And I, I know that we are literally just scratching the surface as what we are going to see in the terms of choralpreneurship. And when I say choralpreneurship, I I mean the people like myself with Choir Baton, um, and I don't want to mention other names just because it's not like I'm not going to mention other names, but I'm afraid I'm going to forget someone. I don't have a list of like people that I interact with regularly on a normal basis here, and I don't want to forget anyone. But like if you just begin to search, right, there's there's podcasts, um, there are blogs, there are teachers paid teacher stores, there are websites. And I mean, there's so many different ways in which choral educators are beginning to put their voice out there to help serve the community. And a couple of things that I do want to address is I, I want to, for those of you that are consuming as someone that, um, you know, hasn't been in this space as long as someone like Adam Paltrowitz, who I just adore and he is such good people, um, as someone that hasn't been in this space as long as he has, but has been in this space now um, for for a little bit, I challenge you to first and foremost remember that your voice is enough. If you start doing this, there's no doubt like you have something within your soul that wants to um, help others around you. Um, I hope that's like your main your main mission. Um, but to remember to lean into what makes you unique and to not try to be like anything else that's out there. Not because, uh, and I'm not saying it has to be like completely different or unique, but to lean into what you think is important and and why and educate yourself uh, within that and so that you can always use that as a point of, of reference. And I also encourage you to just be mindful in how we are interacting with this community and to be protective of your platform. Note that I did not say exclusive, but to be protective. Um, I have learned within the last several weeks that I need to be a little bit even more protective with the choir baton platform. That doesn't mean that takeovers are going away. That doesn't mean uh, any that I won't continue to share about different awesome community things that I have seen that are going out there. But I, I seek to be a little bit more protective because I don't want to support anything that I am not familiar with, even in the instance of of knowing that it is um, that that it is in the right place, even uh, on some sort of level. And, and so I think that too, if you are wanting to promote and collaborate with other choralpreneurs, that you need to be open and honest uh, with them and and how we begin to show up with each other so that we, we can be collaborative, but we are not secretive. Um, there is... Um, room enough for all of us to create within this space that um, is is very very key for us I'm, I'm laughing to myself about something else that I'm purposely choosing to not say um, in real in uh, anyways it just makes me laugh so the other thing that I want to remind you is that um, you know your voice is enough if you are listening and to consuming one of these and that don't 
if you are a coralpreneur consumer, that's very complicated, to not just listen, just like I said, don't listen to the voices of some of these massive, um, you know, well-known composers, conductors, professors, uh, educators, and things like that. Like what they say um, is can be very w- good and well-informed, but what they say is not also the be-all, end-all. But what choralpreneurs say and do is not the be-all, end-all, right? Like what I'm saying is not necessarily something that you should take down verbatim and say like word for word, um, like, oh, this is it. This is what I believe and this is what I you know, think and I'm doing this because I learned this. I challenge you to hear and learn what people are saying, but then take it internal and see what aligns with you and what aligns with what you think because and what you feel and and make an informed personal conclusion that then you can share with the world around you because again it goes back to the fact that your voice is enough but your voice is not enough when it is riddled with the ideas and thoughts of the world around you, when it has but a thread of you in it and multiple threads of other people that are just haphazardly thrown together, right? Um, Each one of us is so unique and we are enough just as we are. If you are leaning into this within your choirs, if you are really, I, I truly believe some of the most meaningful performances and choirs and conductors, teachers, learners that I've ever had a chance to be around are those that um, have taken from all of the different places that they've been able to learn from and be involved in both at that point in time in which I'm interacting with them and in which they continue to interact and they take it inside and they make it into how it fits into their own ethos. And sometimes they are more informed with aspects of that than other aspects of that. But they make it to where it is their own learning, their own synthesization of what they have learned so that then they are able to speak more about it, speak more informed, and stand up to others when they are asked about it, whether it's in a confrontational or non-confrontational manner. Your voice is enough. And your voice has never been more enough than the world we are living in right now, both as a choral musician and as a person. I hesitated whether or not to uh, release an episode this week in light of what is happening in the world around us, but I felt more called to than ever release one as I begin to think more and more and more about all of this and so many other things in the fact that I am not clearly a black woman. I do not understand what it means like to be black in America and quite frankly in the world. But my voice is enough and I feel called to use my voice to stand up against the inequities, the injustices, 
that the black community, that the people of color in this United States of America community and the world face. I feel called that my voice is enough. It's not the only voice. It shouldn't be the only voice. I hope that it is not the only voice that you are listening to about this. But I grew up in so many years worth of embedded racism that even now at almost 34 years of age, I am still uncovering and still unwrapping and and still heartbroken over the fact that I had so many friends of color growing up that I never, I never checked in on them. I never asked. I never learned. We never talked about it um, because of because of how I was raised to quote, I'm using air quotes, like to not see color. Um, I was raised going on field trips to plantations in South Georgia, where we would literally walk through slave quarters. And the way in which that it was educated to us, that it was taught to us that slavery, slavery was over, and that people were free, and that we are equal. And I am just now at the age of 34, Every single day, um, actually, that's a lie. Probably, no, hands down, not every single day because I don't have to think about it every single day because I'm white, um, but I'm doing a more conscious effort to think about it every single day That and to just be aware of it in general, the privilege that that affords, that um, this is not something that is gone away, that... I realize how I was taught about race, I believed. I believed the authority, the people that were older than me, I believed the people that I, and some of them were, I'm sure, well-meaning, I hope were well-meaning, were probably also like caught up in this awful system. I'm not excusing it. Um, Maybe I'm just trying to explain it or uh, without also trying to rationalize it. Who knows? But what all I know is is my truth in that um, I, for years, believed what was told to me. And the only stories that I was hearing were stories like that, where that racism was um, a part of our past and that we as a nation, if you are a, you know, white people, we cannot look at people, we cannot, quote unquote, see color, Um, that we also don't talk about this, that it's bad to talk about, or not bad to talk about this, but if if we talk about it, then we are um, drawing an even greater line in the sand between people of color and people that aren't. And I regret that for years, I just accepted that. I just accepted what was being taught to me. And I never began to question and I never began to learn and I never began to look inside to see what what I thought and what I felt and did that make sense to me? Did it make sense to me as an elementary school student to be going through some of these plantations and learning and walking through slave quarters? Whereas depending on what school I was at, if I was at a private school in South Georgia run by a 
Baptist Christian church that I did not have a single person of color in any of my classes until my third grade class. Now, I only went there till third grade, but until my third grade class when I had one boy who I cannot tell you really the names of any other members of my classmates, but I remember Richard and I remember that. And yet when I moved to Durham, North Carolina, that there were, it was the first time I had ever been around such a, a diverse group of people, not on so many different levels. Now I'm just not even talking like white and black, but there were many different countries, uh, ethnicities, all the things of like people within that. But especially I had, um, never been around that. I distinctly remember being in fifth, fourth or fifth grade and feeling so embarrassed that I could not tell the black boys apart in my class because they all looked the same to me. And no one ever telling me that, like, not not knowing that that was like wrong, but not knowing why and not knowing how to talk about it and, and what that means and that like we are like there are differences that we you do see color. And because you see color, like that's just not you. It is our nation. Quite frankly, it's it's our world. And I know that because I dated a guy one time um, who is Egyptian and we and we talked about the differences of even skin color um, in Africa there and, and what that means. But I didn't ask the questions then. And in some ways I was so young, if you think about it, like I, back in the early nineties that I didn't know that wasn't taught to me to ask like, why, why is that? What does that mean? Um, and to ask questions, to seek, to learn, to make decisions for myself that wasn't just regurgitating what other people had told me. And I, this is such a journey for me. I urge you that as you move forward from listening to this podcast as we move forward from each day to day that we begin to look at how are we consuming how are we consuming so that we are not taking in the stories that are being told to us especially stories that are being told to us by people in authority and I mean people in authority from teachers to choral conductors that you look up to, to parents, to grandparents, to people we see on podcast feeds, to people that we see on YouTube and Instagram feeds and channels, that we don't look at what these people are saying and take it as our own truths, but we take it as a way to learn and educate and we take it within And we begin to unwrap why and how does that align with who we are and what we believe and what can we learn and how can we seek to to grow and to and to do better. And I hope that we do this in choral music first and foremost, well, not first and foremost, but especially in choral music, because I think only then will we begin to tear down some of these walls and bridges and conceptions of 
misconceptions of what is good choral music versus bad choral music and what is an ensemble we want to be like versus what is an ensemble we don't want to be like and and we begin to lean into what makes us unique as conductors what makes us unique as singers what makes us unique as choirs and and lean into that is that what makes us special and own that know that that voice of ours within choir is enough but if we're going to do that in choral music we have to also do that in our lives and that as we are in a period of unrest within our country particularly as it pertains to our understanding of the color of people's skin, and how that influences the lens in which we see things, the lens in which we believe things, that we begin to question what are things we think and thought we believe? Are they things that were told to us by people of authority? Or are they things that weren't explicitly told to us by people of authority, but implicitly told to us by people of authority? Parents, grandparents, teachers, pastors, friends, people we see on the media. And look within and think about what is it that we believe and how does that fit in with what we are hearing? Is it the same? Does it align? Where does it not align? Why does it not align there? Because what has empowered me the most in speaking out about the fact that black lives matter, because y'all, this has been a, a, a journey for me to even say those words, which is embarrassing to say, but it's true because I have had to look deep within and figure out Not just what am I going to say because other people are saying it, but what am I learning? How am I learning? How am I failing in that learning to better understand my privilege, to better understand what it means to have white skin, to better understand what it means to have black skin, to better understand what it means to be an immigrant in this country currently versus what it means to be a descendant of immigrants to this country and it's hard and it's uncomfortable but I feel empowered in my passion to speak out about this because I am seeking to learn and grow and make I hate the I hate like sometimes I feel like this has a shaming connotation to it but like to make an educated statement you know some I think sometimes people say well, educate yourself do the work you've got to learn and when white people say that to white people that really bothers me because I think we have all had to learn and grow and, and instead of like pushing other people down um, that have been on similar paths of understanding that like we've got to reach back and, and help each other along in that and and that is what I'm hoping to do this to hoping to do within this podcast um, episode release today because I want you to know that I want to come alongside you and grab your hand and say, like, I am here to help you 
I am, sometimes you are going to be right beside me. Sometimes you are going to be the person in front of me. And I hope that you will grab my hand and, and reach along and say, I am here to help you. But to know that um, we have to help each other. We also have to look within and realize that your voice is enough. And if you are struggling to feel that today, know that you are not alone, that I have struggled with that and still continue to struggle with that. But what has empowered me in realizing that my voice is enough is in is in the learning, is in the uncomfortable, is in the growth, is in the failure, is in the speaking up and saying something not like I could have or should have, but just trying to begin to to do more that aligns with what I feel called to do more within that within that way and knowing that my way of doing more is going to look different than someone else's way of doing more. But because I've taken the time to to look within that I'm confident that I um, can speak out because my voice is enough. I'm so grateful for this community. I am so grateful for all of my friends that have had conversations with me. That is how I learn best is through conversations and supplementing it with other things, um, but particularly within that. And I don't just mean conversations that I've had with my friends that are of color, but also with my white friends as well, that we are all holding each other accountable and seeking to grow, whether it is in standing up for black lives or if it's also standing up for choral music and how we can um, begin to tear down some of the other inequities that are within our community as well. My passion is more people singing and I hope that you have heard that and felt that and seen that within the last 40 episodes of the Choir Baton podcast. I hope that you will continue to hear and see that and learn that in the next 40 episodes of the Choir Baton podcast. I hope that if you are not connected with us through our weekly emails, that you do that, that you check us out on social media, that you go to our website, see free resources that we have on there, that we have the teaching membership on there. We have new things continuously coming out to help support you in that. Thank you so much. We are more people singing. <laughs>